I remember years ago as a little kid hanging out with my great-grandma Mildred. Around Christmas time, she would always have me cut out Christmas cards. The decorations on the front of the card, she'd have me get a pair of scissors and just cut out those decorations on Christmas cards. To this day, I have no idea why she had me do that. Maybe it was to keep me busy. But for whatever reason, she'd have me cut out these pictures on Christmas cards. And I'll never forget hearing stories about the people who had sent her Christmas cards. And I was amazed because the addresses from these people were literally all over the world. She and my great-grandfather in the 1950s and 60s had traveled all over the world. And she had told me stories about their travel. And it really lit in my heart a curiosity about the rest of the world. I can remember my great-grandmother Ethel sitting at her little kitchen table in their little bitty house in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, and hearing about stories of when she grew up. I remember specifically one story when she was a little girl and she covered a great portion of Oklahoma in a covered wagon. I thought that was amazing. She was one of the toughest women I've ever met. And she was the first one that really taught me about perseverance. I remember my grandmother Dorothy telling me about how to be a young man around adults who practice good manners and respect and really had a view of authority that was proper and right. I remember my grandfather Henry getting me up on his lap and my legs weren't old enough to touch the pedals on that old case tractor and letting me drive that tractor pulling a plow. He was the one that taught me to sit on a tractor and drive that thing in the fields. And I'll never forget the things he used to tell me as we'd drive along. He'd always emphasize, you better keep looking at the world around you because it's going to pass you by and you don't want to miss it. I remember my grandmother Odelia first person I remember saying to me, Kevin, you should memorize Psalm 23. Because if you'll hide God's word in your heart, it'll change your life. I tell you those stories because the older generations have something to offer the younger generations that the younger generations can simply not live without. The story of Joshua began somewhere when he was younger in the wilderness, somewhere along the way when Moses said, Hey, Joshua, young guy, I want you to walk alongside me as I walk alongside the Lord. The book of Joshua begins with this attention grabber. Moses died. And all of a sudden, we want to know what happens after Moses dies? What happens with Joshua now he is propelled into the position of leading the entire nation? What's going to happen now that Moses has died? And we want to read Joshua to find out what happens. And now we have arrived at the end of the story, the book of Joshua, and everything has come full circle. Let's read together Joshua chapter 24. Starting in verse 29. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. 
I hope you'll read along with me in the version you have with you today. Joshua chapter 24, verse 29. After these things, the Lord's servant, Joshua son of Nun, died at the age of 110. They buried him in his allotted territory at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. We've come full circle. Joshua has died. We began the story with Moses' death. We wanted to know more. And now we're ending the story with Joshua's death. And we want to know more. It's like ending book one in the series and being really anxious about finding out about book two. Joshua's died. What happened next? We're given a little teaser about book 2 here in verse 31. Israel worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. And during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced all the works of the Lord had done for Israel. Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the parcel of land Jacob had purchased from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants. And Eliezer, son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeah, which had been given to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. The end. That's a cliffhanger. Joshua died. They got Joseph's bones all the way into the promised land, just like Joseph had requested before they ever left Egypt. Eliezer, the son of Aaron, dies. The high priest dies. Joshua is dead. The whole generation that followed Joshua followed the Lord all their lives. They died. Eliezer dies. Everybody's dying. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen in the next generation? Do you feel the cliffhanger? We want book two when we finish book one. I've got good news. Book two's already out. It's been out for a while. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 13, pick up where book one ended. And I want you to notice verses 6 through 10 sound just like what we just read at the end of Joshua. But notice the change in verse 10. Look at verse 10, Judges chapter 2. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not Know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. Verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. You ever watched a movie that you knew the end of? I mean, a lot of movies are pretty predictable, right? But if they're predictable or we know the end, we don't stop watching them. I suspect any, everybody in here has watched one movie more than once. 
It's not that we didn't know the movie, we just wanted to watch it again. Why? Because there's something that impacts us about that experience. That knowing the end does not take it away. And here we have this story, and all along the way through the book of Joshua, we've had hints. Things are not going to end up good. And here Judges gives us that ending that we knew was coming. Another generation arose that did not know the Lord. Now why do we keep reading this story? Why do we keep wanting to know about this story? What's interesting for us about this story? Well, here's the thing. We want this story through the Spirit of God to so impact our lives right now that we aspire to have a different story. This generation rose that did not know the works of the Lord. What went wrong? I mean, did Joshua mess up? Did the older generation not invest in the younger generation? Did the younger generation not listen to the older generation? What went wrong? Well, this story is not told in such a way that blame is clarified. It doesn't matter who's to blame. What matters is that we read this story and we are compelled, we are emotionally moved, we are spiritually moved to say, I don't want this to be our story. I don't want this story. I want a better story for our generation. You feel that? We want to be a part of the story that says a generation rose that didn't know the works of the Lord and that followed him all the days of their lives. Don't you want that to be the story of our generation? Well, I want want to choose as a church family that path of a better story. That, That choice begins for every one of us where chapter 24 began. Chapter 24 is the chapter just above this final paragraph where Joshua says to the people, as for me and my house, we will today choose to follow the Lord. What are you going to choose today? And here's where the better path to the better story begins. It begins with every single one of us making the choice every day to worship the Lord and worship Him alone. The next generation has no chance to be the generation that rises who knows the works of the Lord if our generation does not daily worship the Lord. Do you recognize the end of this this story in Joshua? How many stories are weaved in this last paragraph? You have Joshua and the distribution of the land promised by the Lord. You have Joseph's bones, which the Israelites brought from Egypt. Joseph made his family promise to take his bones into the promised land. There's a whole story to that. There's a story about Shechem and where Jacob purchased land. And remember, Shechem is the place where Abraham experienced God saying to him, the land that you're standing on right now is the land I'm going to give your 
your descendants. And then later, Jacob circles back to Shechem, and he buys some land there. I think that's so funny that he's buying land that God's going to give him anyway. It's unbelievable. There's an amazing story here about Jacob and trusting the Lord. He built an altar right there at Shechem. And he called that place the God of Israel. There's stories here about Aaron, the high priest and his son, Eliezer, and his son, Phinehas. Do you see that? Dad, son, and grandkid. You see these generations of stories with the high priest. There's a story here about Gibeah. They buried Eliezer in Gibeah. You remember Gibeah? where they, they tricked Israel, but they ended up being set free from God's wrath and became servants in the tabernacle of God. Amazing story of a complete turnaround. What about the story here of Eliezer and Aaron and Phinehas? What, what happened when Eliezer died? He was the high priest. He died. If anybody was in the cities of refuge who had fled their homes to be safe under the protection and justice of God, when Eliezer died, they got to go home from the city of refuge. Remember that story of redemption? There's one story after another packed in the ending of this story. And if you don't know all the stories that are in here, how will you read this and worship? We've got to make the choice every day to worship the Lord by seeking to know Him and the stories He has preserved for us so that we might order our lives on the basis of who He is. If we don't know these stories, how will the next generation know the stories? The next generation is meant to know these stories through the older generations. We must be a people who are seeking to know these stories for the younger generation. So that we might not only know the stories of the God of the Bible, but also so that we might see the stories of our lives unfolding before us right now through the lens of the stories of the Bible. Do you know if you don't know the stories of who God is and what God says, you're not going to see the stories unfolding in front of your life right now in the right way? You've got to look at what's unfolding in your life through the lens of the stories of who God is so that you can see the same God of the stories of the Bible working in His faithfulness right in the middle of your stories today. And then what your generations, younger generations, hear from you are the stories of who God is and the stories of who God is in your every single day life. When you begin to see your life through the lens of who God is because you're a generation who knows the works of the Lord and you tell that to the next generation, the next generation has every reason to know the works of the Lord and to worship Him alone. We have to be a people who know the stories, who see the stories of our lives through the lens of these stories. And we've got to be a people who invest our lives in the next generations. So I want to speak to the older generation. Now I realize when I say I want to speak to the older generation that everybody in here thinks I'm talking to somebody else. <laughs> if I've learned one thing, I've learned this. As I get older, 
People younger than me think I'm far older than I really feel. And in my mind, I feel, still feel like I'm 20. It's just that my body's in rebellion. Anybody else with me on that one? So let me clarify for you what I mean by older generations. Older generations simply means that you have younger generations under you in whom you can invest your life for the glory of God. So what that means is your teenagers are an older generation for your grade school kids. They got somebody younger than they can invest in and serve. Your 20 and 30-somethings can invest in your teens. Your 30s and 40-somethings can invest in your 20-somethings. Your 50 and 60-year-olds can invest in your 20 and 30-year-olds and so on. You see that anybody in any generation that has a younger generation to invest in is the older generation. And the older you get, the more significant that reality is. In Psalm 71, verse 18, the psalmist says, Hey, don't abandon me, Lord. I want to have more opportunities to pour out my life for the sake of the generations to come, seeing that you are who you are. Do you realize what happens? When, when I was a little kid, I had about three generations above me pouring into me. When I was a little kid, I had my parents pouring into me, I had my grandparents pouring into me, and for a window, I had my great-grandparents pouring into me. Sometimes you have great-great-grandparents for a very brief window. But most of the time, your youngest generations have three to four generations pouring into them, and they are poised to receive the influence of a Moses as the youngest of the Joshuas. But as you grow older, you have more generations under you in which you can pour into, and fewer generations older than you that can pour into you. And the oldest generations among us have no Moseses left. All they have is Joshua's. So here's what ought to happen as we grow older. As we grow older, we should be investing in younger generations more, not less. When you get to be the oldest generation, do you know the only call that's left on your life is to invest in Joshua's? And that's where you find the value of life. Invest in Joshua. In order to invest in a Joshua, you've got to be a good Moses. You can't be a jerk. Can you imagine how it would have gone if Moses had come up to Joshua and said, Hey, I'd like, to, I'd like you to walk alongside me as I walk with the Lord. By the way, I'm going to treat you like, a, like an idiot. Joshua had been like, No way, I'm not doing that. If you're going to have Joshua's, you've got to be a good Moses. And if you're going to be a good Moses, let me give you a couple of things to just chew on. Number one, Philippians chapter 2 says that we ought to be a people who care about others more than we care about ourselves. That we shouldn't just be concerned about our own interests, but we should be concerned about the interests of others. If you're going to be a good Moses... An older generation, whatever age you are, if you're going to be a good Moses, you've got to care more for the needs of the younger generation than you do your own needs. That's what the scripture says. There's an interesting story in Ezra chapter 3. 
Ezra chapter 3 is a story about the rebuilding of the temple, laying the temple foundation again. They've come out of exile. The temple is destroyed. They get there and they rebuild the foundation of the temple. And the young generation that had never seen the temple, they'd grown up in exile. They've come back home and they see this temple foundation built up again. They see the new temple and they rejoice at the work of God among them. You know what the old priests do that saw the former temple that have come back and they now see what they have? They weep. And Ezra said that you could not distinguish from the shouts of joy and the sounds of weeping. What you felt was an experience of the presence of God. If you're going to be a good Moses... You cannot so cling to the past that you sacrifice the future. Certainly we need to honor the past, and in some situations we'll weep over the fact that the past is gone. But what we've got to be is a generation that clings to the hope of the future. By honoring the past, but stepping into the future in such a way that we can reach the next generation. If you want to be a good Moses, you've got to care deeply about reaching the next generation. No question that the bulk of the responsibility rests on the older generation. Because we should know better. We should be wiser. We should recognize the important role the older generation plays in the younger generation coming to know the Lord. But that does not mean that the younger generation is without responsibility. So I want to say a word to the younger generation. And just to clarify again what I mean by the younger generation, it's any generation that has an older generation above them. There's only one older generation that doesn't have somebody above them. Everybody else is in a position at times in their life of being a Joshua. And so I want to encourage you in how you're to live as a part of a younger generation. Number one, the younger generation cannot see the older generation as irrelevant or out of touch. It doesn't take many generational gaps to recognize that the older generation talks a little bit different than the younger generation. The older generation dresses a little bit different than the younger generation. The older generation listens to a different kind of music than the younger generation. I mean, there are issues between generations. I mean, the older generation may not use all the apps or the social media, or the devices that the younger generation, are you, are you tracking with me here? There seems to be this sense of irrelevance, but the younger generation cannot see the older generation as irrelevant just because they don't dress like they do, talk like they do, or use the same devices they do, or listen to the same music they do. The younger generation must realize that the older generation is more relevant to their life than they can imagine. 
In fact, the younger generation must recognize that not only is the older generation relevant, but the older generation is necessary. The way God has designed discipleship to happen in the context of the church is it's designed to happen from the older generation to the younger generation. In other words, the younger generation must recognize that the only way they can walk with the Lord and flourish in the relationship as God intended it is when the older generation is pouring into their life. And the Joshua has to be receiver of that. They have to be willing to receive it. In fact, the Joshua's need to seek out the input of a Moses with honor and respect. The younger generation has to seek it out. What we ultimately want is we want generations that are crossing over in engagement so that they're working together to find Christ and follow Him. We want these generations working together towards this experience. We need Older generations pouring into younger generations because we all want that better story. We need younger generations seeking out the wisdom of older generations because we want that better story. There's a companion passage to this concept. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. In that passage, Paul admonishes or encourages Timothy. Hey, what you've heard from me, you make sure to entrust those things that you've heard from me to faithful men who then will entrust it to others. So here's what you have going on. Paul, the older generation. Pours out and invests his heart and life into Timothy, the younger generation. And then tells Timothy, hey, make sure that you pour out what you've experienced from me into a younger faith generation. And then you make sure those that you poured out into, pour out into yet a younger faith generation. And so what you have is you have four generations who are crossing over generational lines and experiencing the effect of the stories of God embraced and believed, daily worshiping the Lord, experiencing the effect of that so that it changes their lives. That is the best story of all. When all four or so generations that are on this planet right now, in this generation, in our church, Cross over and follow Christ together. That's the best story of all. Do you recognize that the story of Joshua? In all those years, the whole nation of Israel in the story of Joshua only had up to four grandparents. Joshua and his spouse. Caleb and his spouse. We're the oldest generation for years and years. Four people in the oldest generation. And the entire generation that saw the works of the Lord serving under Joshua followed the Lord until the day they died. They only had four. Look around. We got more than four. 
what would it be like in our church family if everyone in an older generation believed what God wants me to do is pour out my life into the next generation for the sake of the kingdom of God way beyond my lifetime. I had somebody come up to me four and a half years ago. It was in my first month of being the pastor here. And this individual said this to me. You can change anything you want in this church, but you better not touch the worship service I'm in. It is not relevant what that person's age was. You might want to know, is that person old or is that person young? Who's to blame is not the point. The point is, what kind of story do we want to be a part of? What do we want our story to be like? There are implications. There are implications. Do you know what we do in worship, corporate worship? You know what we do in corporate worship has something to do with reaching the next generations. It's, it's when our church gathers together as a family to worship the Lord and hear from Him. And this experience together has something about reaching the next generations. There's something really amazing about the older generations experiencing the voice of God in the corporate setting where the younger generations are present to see the older generations respond to Jesus. There's an implication here for us. And here's where it becomes really difficult. I and you, we all like what we like. And we want what we like. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just 20 years from being at the bottom end of the last generation. Some of you are in the top oldest generation. Some of you can see that getting to the oldest generation is just a generation or two away, and you can see it happening this fast. And I just want to encourage you to recognize, if we're going to reach the next generations, when we gather corporately, we better be willing to change. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's not easy for any of us. But what story do we want to be a part of? You know, right now we have multiple opportunities where generations can, can cr cross-engage. Every family meeting we have is a cross-generational gathering. If, if you're not making family meetings a part of your routine, you're missing an opportunity that's ready-made for cross-generational interaction, engagement. Our men's and women's ministries are providing opportunities all the time for generations to engage. Do you know Merry Christmas of Love is one of many ministry projects our church provides for our church family to engage in. And every one of those ministry projects like that provide engagement for generations. 
The opportunity exists for us. The question is, what story do we want to be a part of? I'm grateful that in the last four and a half years, we have seen some amazing things happen with older and younger generations engaging across generations and stories unfolding of God's good faithfulness. Just mid-October this year, just a month ago or so, in the Grandparenting Matters Discipleship course led by our generation's pastor, Brian Wagner, in that course there was a group of grandparents who invited in a group of youth students. They broke into small groups and they had discussion around technology. And they had a panel where the youth were answering questions that the grandparents were asking so that they would understand more about technology and what their grandkids are facing around technology. And they came out of that experience and the oldest generation in the room were saying, we want more of that. Like we want everybody else in this older generation to experience something like that. We're so proud of the youngest generation. Look what they're trying to do and follow the Lord. And the younger generation came out of the experience saying, hey, could we help them more? Like we'd like to be a part of that and maybe help them figure out the technology even more. You know what the younger people were saying? They didn't even know how to say properly. They don't even have the wisdom to think this way. I need to be around the older generation. The older generation was saying it outright. We need more of this. I love that story and I want to see one story like that after another. Just characterize who we are. You know what we're going to do in Advent season? We're going to have a generations choir up on this stage a couple times. You know what that's going to look like? People that are 80 all the way down to the littlest kids singing about Jesus Christ together. Now don't mistake that they're only coming together for that one moment on stage. No, they're getting together and they're practicing and rehearsing to lead us in worship together. You know what's going to happen in those times together? Engagement across generations and a 14-year-old is going to see a 75-year-old and they're going to say, you remember when I saw that lady worship when I was 14, I'll never be the same because I recognized that a heart of worship was what I wanted when I grew to be 75. Is there anything that you're not willing to let go of in the past for the sake of reaching the generations. If you say yes, don't think for one second we'll have the better story. If we say, Lord, I don't know how we're going to let go of it. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I trust you to use us, the older generations, to reach the younger generations. And we surrender to the Lord in whatever that looks like in the days to come. Then there will be another generation who rises, who knows the works of the Lord and worships him. I want that to be our story. Let's pray together.